Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. This episode is sponsored by Happy Fox Health, a natural supplement brand focused on CMOS, a marine algae that has 92 out of 102 essential nutrients that your body needs to thrive and regenerate. I've used a number of their products and found it's really given me clarity of mind. Visit happyfoxhealth.com and use promo code THECRAFT for an exclusive 15-20% to 20% discount off your first product purchase. As a number of you know, I'm also a certified sound therapy practitioner and founder of Oto Healing, a sound therapy studio and practice. Sound has been a healing modality through many cultures for thousands of years. Oto's approach to sound is rooted in both art and science, the art being the history of sound, the science being quantum physics, biology, brainwave states, and more. All listeners of the show get 15% off their first private one-hour session. Visit otohealing.com to book yours now. Carrie Hulshoff is as sharp as they come. The founder of Concept Store, Secret Location, has a mind that operates a mile a minute, making connections and conjuring up future-forward ideas quickly and seemingly with ease. She grew up on a farm steeped in generations of agriculture. Time was often spent with siblings and cousins playing outside, surrounded by animals. Even then, Carrie was entrepreneurial, who didn't particularly enjoy being told she couldn't do something. As a young adult, she moved to Milan, where she did her master's degree in design, eventually working in trend forecasting and fashion design. In 2012, she founded Secret Location, the first concept store in Canada. It was originally a pet project plan while she was living in Italy, until it eventually became a true reality. A lesser-known fact about Carrie, she's been deeply involved in her family's agriculture business, as often the only female and the youngest person in the room with a seat at the industry table. She had a big hand in moving the family operations into a holistic management system to lessen negative impact on the land and on climate, and continues to cultivate her relationship with the land and with farmers who've been around for decades. In this episode, we explore where her eye for beauty and fashion comes from, how living in Milan challenged her mindset, trend forecasting, the traits one must have to do this well and what she sees coming, her process when it comes to working with interior design clients, the secret to her store's longevity, her long-term sustainable vision in farming, food production, and how we treat and understand the land, what we can do to improve agriculture across the world, and much more. Please enjoy this vast conversation with a highly intelligent, generous, and powerful Carrie Holshoff. Carrie Holshoff, welcome to The Craft. Hello, hello. How are you? Good. Yeah, it's a beautiful day outside. Can't complain. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited that you're in here. Me you, as well. Yeah, you and I, we, I believe we met a long time ago, and I think it for was- the first time. For the first time. Mm -hmm. And I believe it was Secret Location's opening party. It was very quick. I think someone introduced me to you. Mm -hmm. And then many years passed. Mm -hmm. And then our mutual friend, Randa, was like, you need 
to you reconnect. Need to, you need to chat with Carrie. Mm-hmm. She she's a great person and very fascinating. And so yeah, we reconnected and we've had a couple of great conversations and wonderful ones. Yes, here we are. How are you feeling? Nervous. <laughs> It's a very bizarre okay. experience to listen to your voice. Yeah, it is. It is. But once once you get past it, once you get past it and past like, oh, this is the cadence of my voice and it's not so bad, it's all good. Then it'll loosen up. We'll yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations Thank on you. the impending bundle of joy Thank that's you. coming. Yep. Yeah, very excited Time for you. Time is flying. Mm-hmm. New chapters, new chapters. Mm-hmm. New challenges. New challenges and chapters. Yeah. But let's take it back, all the way back to childhood. Okay, wow, way back. Yes, we're okay. going way back. Tell me about it. Tell me about what it was like growing up. Oh, goodness. Uh, first would be probably very family-focused. It's always been something that is uh, a priority, even still. A lot of time spent with siblings, cousins, playing. Um, a lot of times spent on various farms, because as you know, my family is all into farming, cousins included. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, in general, a lot of fantastic memories. I'm very close with my family. I'm very blessed to be very close to them. Um, and I think having that support system lends to you first being able to more easily find yourself and uh, being more confident when you get there. Mm. I really love that. Yeah, I really love that thought about support and it allowing you to be who you are. Well, to, you know the blossom. famous saying, right? You are the five people you spend the most time with. Mm, yeah, that's very, very true. And so you spent a lot of times in the outdoors if you were on the farm yes. and I'm animals. A, a and... black sheep in my family <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and still do to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy spending time outside. Um, I wouldn't say I'm an avid, I don't know, outdoorsman, hiker, camper, etc. But I enjoy working outside, yes. Mm-hmm. And were there a lot of animals on the farm? Yes, always. What yeah. kinds? Um, on my grandparents, they had a variety. Uh, the cattle has always been uh, one of the priorities, but they also had, you know, sheep and uh, a lot of cats. My grandpa mm. was known for having a lot of cats, so was my uncle. Um, so I spent a lot of time with cats, which probably lends to why I love cats so much as well. Yeah. Do you have a few now? I have one. Yes. Mm, but, okay. What kind? Uh, Cornish Rex. I don't think I've ever heard of that. They look kind of, I would say, similar to an Egyptian cat. Okay. Uh, but they are hypoallergenic and so mm. perfect for me because I travel so much and he travels with me. Oh, no way. Okay. Yes. So he has been Your a companion. lot of places. It's <laughs> a well-traveled cat. Very well-traveled. Yes. And what were you like as uh, a child? As a child, uh, well, stubborn probably would be the first characteristic that comes to mind. Um, individualistic. Uh, I never really followed and necessarily was good about doing what I was told. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe rebellious to a degree. Um, Where do you think the rebellious spirit comes from? Oh, I don't know. That's a good one. But it's always been there. Mm. It's one of those things where if somebody tells me I can't do something to this day, then I almost seek it out to prove them wrong. Mm. And I think that comes from being naturally a rebellious person. Mm. And sometimes that's just innate. 
I can't, I can't give you, you know, yeah, I can't give you a specific uh, experience or, you know, for example, uh, that the personality trait came from another. Um, It was, it's just always been there. Yeah. Yeah. And then as you grew, were you always entrepreneurial too? I think because I was individualistic, yes. Mm. Uh, I always liked creative exercises and things. Mm-hmm. Like uh, what? Music mm. in particular. Uh, grew up playing piano. My mom was a piano teacher. So pretty much from as long as I can remember, I've played piano. Mm. Um, and then went through other instruments, trumpet, violin, singing. Mm. Um, so I think that you kind of, I guess, if you enjoy those kind of creative endeavors, it only encourages you to seek out more. Mm. Yeah. And I find that people who grew up really musical always have this really like an extra layer of depth to them. It's almost like they can hear and see and observe more than I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. Than than the normal person. I feel that way anyways with people that I know that that grew up with instruments. There's something just very deep about them. I, yeah. I will take that. <laughs> <laughs> and were you the same as a teenager or did you start to evolve a little bit? No, I've been pretty steadfast, I mm. would say, uh, throughout from childhood into my teenage years and into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um because of being stubborn, I have the tendency of, to, of learning things the hard way. I I would hope and like to think of myself as being wiser than that now. Um, but no, I've been relatively the same throughout. Mm. And did you have, you spent some time in Milan mm-hmm. and you studied and you lived there. I did. And I'm wondering if you always had it in you, in you as well with the individualistic and rebellious spirit, the want to travel and to leave where you came from and discover I think and explore places. Traveling is one of the biggest blessings that anybody can have. It opens your eyes to different cultures, different types of people, different thought processes. Um, it's something that I love maybe the most just because of what you can learn and discover in such a short period of time Mm. and the exposure level that you can access. Right. Um, It, living in Milan, going back to that, uh, challenged a lot of, because I was so stubborn, I had a lot of thoughts and, uh, I guess, mindsets that were solidified in my mind that that challenged, and I think that that was really healthy. Mm. Just what, being, did it, what did it challenge for you? Oh, I would say everything. Mm. You know, you go from your own little world of, you know, a lot of people that you've spent your entire lives with or a large chunk of time with growing up with to all of a sudden needing to develop brand new friendships. And being in Milan, because it's such a hub, I was able to cultivate and develop friendships that I have to this day with people from different cultures and that challenges everything you thought you knew. Mm. And also the language. Yes. That's yeah. another. Yeah. Yeah. It was a hard to do. You, can you speak it? I now? can. Yeah. Um, and I try and practice every time I talk to my friends. Mm. Um, I knew Spanish before, so that helped a lot. Okay. So a good foundation, like linguistically. Yes. yes. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's another love language. And mm-hmm. so that helped transition. Yeah. 
And you have your master's degree in design. I do. Yeah. Yes, from Instituto Marangoni. Mm, how was that program? Challenging, but fantastic. At the time, now the, the school has been purchased uh, and has new ownership. And so I'm not sure to what degree it's changed and evolved. But at that time, it was necessary that if you were going through a master's program, that all of the professors also be in the industry and be working as well. And so it allowed for a lot more access and real life experience and know-how that they ultimately communicated and um, welcomed us into. Mm. And design, was that something that was an interest of yours for a really long time, like ever since you were a child and the way that you looked at the world? Like where, where did your eye for beauty come from? I think fashion started in my teenage years. And then as you have, you know, various curiosities and kind of delve further into it, you realize it's something more. And I realized it was design. Uh, and I very much appreciated and loved the history of specific things and how they came to be or the craftsmanship and the way that they were created and produced. Mm -hmm. And that lent to uh, ultimately going to Milan and studying there. Right, right. Yeah, I feel that really deeply when you're talking about the history of fashion and the construction and 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 all of that. I, I believe that's why I truly love fashion as well. Is there is there's so much um, there's just like so much history and love and artistry that mm -hmm. goes into fashion that uh, not everybody realizes. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really beautiful. I just recently learned that haute couture like that there is there's an actual um like I'm not sure if it's an institute or an organization or a membership mm -hmm. and that it's there's only like 20 houses that mm -hmm. are a part of it but and there a laundry are, list of criteria exactly that you need to fulfill to be included in that I did not even know that mm -hmm. until I, I follow Lauren Santo Domingo okay and she had a whole Instagram story about that educating like, wow educating and I was like wow I did not even know this mm -hmm. um but yeah I do I, I think that it's just such a fashion is such a beautiful thing from a history standpoint a society standpoint well um, it speaks so much politics. to that right yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so anything design oriented I think speaks to no matter what time or era it comes out of speaks to that time mm -hmm. and what was influencing people at mm. that time hundred percent. Do you have a favorite era of fashion Ooh. because of all of this? No, uh, I wouldn't say so. To this day, you know, you see what new designers and creatives are coming up with. And I think uh, when you consider how many different types of items or styles have been created over time, it's pretty amazing and remarkable. Mm -hmm. Do you have any emerging designers that you're following right now? Oh, gosh. Oh, just personally, I'd love to know. A long <laughs> list. Um, none that come to mind at the top of my head, but um, there is a Instagram account called Next Up Next, I think it is, Up Next Designers. Uh, and they're kind of a bit of a go-to to kind of things that you aren't necessarily uh, coming across, mm. especially given today's algorithm with social media, et cetera. Um, and otherwise, I find I come across a lot while I'm traveling. Right. And so how many days of the year are you traveling, do you think? 
Oh, well, COVID changed that a bit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be four months out of the year. Wow, that's for a lot. Sure that I was traveling. That was kind of the bare minimum. Yeah. Um, of course, COVID happened and nobody went anywhere. Mm. And now I think we're just starting to get into the flow of things again. Things are just starting to, you know, kind of get back to not necessarily what they were, but what they will be. Mm-hmm. And so far, I've already had quite a few trips. It's not at the same duration and level as it was prior, but it's hard to say where that will end. Yeah, yeah. And I guess a little bit more difficult with with yes. the new chapter coming. Although I've already prepared for that. Yes. So <laughs> you're it's all not going to hinder out. me. <laughs> no. Um, you strike me as someone that is very left and right brained. Yes. It's hard. Yeah. As well, because, you know, sometimes throughout the day you're going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found definitely how you organize your time is incredibly important to give particularly the left time because it needs time. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't lean one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel very much the same way. I've always said that about myself. Like I feel like I'm very split between the middle of the left and, and the right. Not that it's, it's, uh good or, or bad it just no. it is mm-hmm. you know I, I enjoy a certain amount of structure and analysis but mm-hmm. also my imagination can go really wild so I actually prefer it you know variety it's kind of nice, a little bit of adds a, variety. a lot of variety into yeah. life right yeah well tell me what led you to founding secret location because I remember when it opened it was something very new for the city something was that was destination that was luxury that was was concept. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Secret Location uh, was the first concept store in Canada um, and was originally, I would say, more of a pet project or a hobby that I had worked on while I was living in Milan. Um, Something, you know, to kind of occupy your time in the evening. I know that might not be (laughs) the most normal for for most individuals, but um, and then uh, the economy declined rapidly in Italy and I found that I was not going to be able to renew my visa and was going to be forced to come back to Canada Uh, and so that changed things as far as how I foresaw I guess life unfolding. I had initially planned to stay there um, and to continue working uh, and all of a sudden I had to come back to Canada and so once I did I had a an opportunity to come back for the holidays and kind of started to look at my surroundings and understand, okay, what can I do here that's going to make me happy and make me feel fulfilled? Um, And I didn't see a lot that was going to satisfy all of that, given what my experience had been living for years in Milan. And uh, when I came back, I had uh, a few individuals in my life that were very uh, supportive and ultimately, you know, said, why don't you take this pet project and do something with it? Mm. Um, And we're very instrumental in kind of pushing me to do that and get it started and start to connect with the right individual to be able to facilitate that. Mm. And so when you were in Milan, when you were working in design, what what exactly were you were you doing? So uh, it was it was a lot of fashion design. Got Mm -hmm. it. Mm-hmm. A lot of trend forecasting and fashion design. Mm. Oh, trend forecasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such an innate skill, I feel like. It's very interesting because mm. it's 
you have to be aware of what's happening culturally, uh, politically, socially. To and be years able out, to, right? Yeah, to be able to kind of have a feeling for where things are trending. Mm-hmm. My first job when I got back from L.A. was actually assisting a trend forecaster. Oh. And I, I still to this day, I think she was one of my best mentors and, and bosses. And she worked for a company called Promo Steel. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I believe she handled all of all of the Americas. And I just remember thinking, how does your how does your brain know this? You know, how do you how are you forecasting colors for like three, four seasons mm-hmm. out for this paint company? Or, you know, how are you doing this for this architecture firm? Mm-hmm. And I just felt like it it maybe parts of it could be learned, but I also feel like it was just some of it in is her. innate. Yeah. yeah. She was just intuitive about those things. Mm-hmm. So it was always fascinating to watch her. I think you that. also have to be naturally a bit of an empathetic person. Mm. Um to be able to be sensitive enough to feel what's going on and where things directionally are headed. Right. Mm. Well, with that in mind, where do you think, where do you feel things are headed right now? Just quickly off the top well, of your, broad. your head. <laughs> so yeah. in what area specifically? In, let's say, let's stick to, to what you're, you're an expert at in design. Okay. Um, well, I think that this is already very much starting to show itself, but I think that more individualism, less focused on trend. There's so mi- so many micro trends that it's becoming uh, impossible for one individual to kind of keep their finger on the pulse of all of them. And so I think it's going to become more and more about personal style and personal taste and less about, let's say, predictions of color trends, et cetera. Mm. Uh, and how individuals are able to represent their personal style and taste. I think that social media and TikTok and just the pace of it all has lent towards that, as well as COVID and I think people spending a lot of times with themselves and understanding who they are. Um, and a lot, I, a very easy one would be away from white. There was a lot of beige and white in interior, in fashion and minimalism uh, and I I think we can all already see that color is something that's making a huge impact Mm. and why do you feel color is coming coming back is it do you you feel like it's people just want to feel some sort of joy Mm. and and happiness Mm -hmm. Mm. it's so interesting similar if you think about you know uh the roaring 20s and what Mm -hmm. happened then and the fact that that was just at the conclusion of the first world war and how people were in a very celebratory mood and wanting to express themselves and spend time with each other and really revel and live in the moment. Mm-hmm. I think people are going Lots through of partying. that same, same kind of a variation of that moment now. Mm, really interesting. And uh, it's it's I, I love that we're talking about this because I know during the pandemic, Secret Location also added a new offering, which mm-hmm. was designed for interiors. Design, yes. Yeah. Was that so fun for you to add that? It happened naturally. It wasn't something that, you know, we just decided all of a sudden to introduce. It was something that we had uh, done already for a number of years. You know, it's something that we had done for clients, not advertised or listed as a service offering on our site, but something that we had already began. And it became a natural transition when 
we were all confined to our homes. Mm-hmm. And we, as a company even, uh, prioritized homewares and lifestyle products right initially in the beginning of COVID. We right. made that decision within the first couple of weeks of mm-hmm. when we were in quarantine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm, I'm curious about your creative process. So when a client comes to you and they're like, okay, we, we need to redo this, this place, mm-hmm. how does your brain start to turn? First, you need to get to know them. I think that that's a lot of, uh, it's one of the most important parts of the puzzle is really understanding your client, being able to understand what their needs are out of perhaps a home or a specific space. And not everybody knows that innately. Sometimes you have to pull that out of people Mm. of what they're looking for. They don't necessarily know until you start to show them. But can they feel it? Do they have a feeling first or do you really it's, have to guide it out of them? It's uh, It depends on the individual. Sometimes, you know, you have individuals that are more able to utilize visual stimuli and, and be able to tell you what they're drawn to and what they're not. Others, it's it's almost teaching them how to communicate what they like from, let's say, a specific image or, or material mm. so that they can learn kind of the language to be able to articulate what draws them. Um, but I think that that's more important than me or the rest of the team is understanding who they are and what what they're wanting to feel when they come into a space, what utilitarian needs it needs to satisfy. Um, and then that's your jumping off point mm. for what direction it needs to go into. A right. lot of I find a lot of creative individuals, it's not a it's not about you, <laughs> you know? I find a lot of people they have and maybe too you have a specific style and taste that you're very proficient at and people come to you for that specifically. Um, but I think that being able to truly make somebody happy in a space that they're going to spend a considerable amount of time in, you have to know who they are first. Mm. That so makes a lot of sense. We have two questionnaires that we start with and and that's kind of our, our first step. Mm. And then begins the design and the curation mm-hmm. and the and the planning. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm, do you have a, a favorite space that you like to design or, or everything is a blank canvas and everything as, is as joyful? Ooh. Bathrooms. Ah. I have a thing Tell for bathrooms. Why. I think because it's such a personal time that you have usually alone, you know, for, for some, depending on the, you know, what their life allows Um, You know, whether it's getting ready in the morning or unwinding at the end of the day, um, I think it's a bit of a, or should be an oasis. Usually people think of it strictly kind of more so in a utilitarian type of way, but it can be such a beautiful space to spend time in. Mm. It's almost like your your Mm self-care space. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Both mentally and physically, Mm. right? The bathroom. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. That's true. Very true. I mean, I love my baths and it does become a sanctuary once my tub is filled and my candles are in there. When you put the time into it, <laughs> yeah, right? When you, when you put the time and the love yeah. into it and, and yourself mm-hmm. really too in, in that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious. I'd love to take this back to the business at more of a, a macro right, level. Right brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I'd love to know what you feel the reason is uh, for the longevity of secret location in a sometimes really unforgiving city when it comes to maintaining oh, a successful easy. business. 
That's easy. Uh, fantastic clients and their loyalty and a really fantastic team. Yeah, your team is great. Yes, I'm very yeah. lucky. Yeah. I have a really incredible team uh, that uh, come from all different walks of life and histories, and uh, we really work collaboratively and as a team, uh, no matter what the project is, mm -hmm. even if it is, you know, talking about the direction of the company. Right. Yeah. And I remember that there was a restaurant that was attached to, mm -hmm. to the store and you said it was for about five years. Mm -hmm. I'd love to know what you learned most about having a restaurant as well. There's only so many hours in a day. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> the first, um, you know, taking something that's definitely more, I guess you could say not necessarily nine to five, but more weighted in the daytime, um, you know, for the concept store and, and pairing that with something that is much more focused on the evening hours. Mm. Um, you, you, I had a, a definitely, I would say probably three years of only having three to four hours of sleep, not going on any kind of personal holidays or taking much time for myself um, and would categorize myself within that period definitely as a workaholic. Mm. Uh, so, also that you can't do it all. You have to find people that you trust that have the same vision, uh, that you can work collectively on things mm. um, and make progress. Right. And yeah. and give them the freedom to do that. Mm. And I'd love to talk about workaholics and being <laughs> a workaholic. Do you feel – what's your relationship with that? And have you, um, have you evolved over time out of that or into – a healthier space with it? I would say definitely a healthier space with it. Um, I still would categorize myself as a workaholic. Well, to what most, I guess, would see as the definition of it. I don't have hobbies for the most part. I just have other jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I like it that way, though. I'm really blessed to be uh, the type of individual who's found what they're passionate about and what they love to do and how they love to spend their time. Um, and so I don't see it as work and, uh, I get a lot of pleasure out of being productive mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, <laughs> ranching, yes. you, you, you bought one Yes, <laughs> to add to more babies. Yes. <laughs> How's that going? I know you were spending time on the property and. Well, that's yeah. still really fresh and new, yeah. you know, um, still just getting to know the space and what we can do with it and putting together plans. Um, because as you know, I was telling you a bit about the story of how that came to be. It was a bit uh, of a surprise. Mm -hmm. um, but it also is right next door to my family's cattle ranch, which is fantastic. And yeah. so it allows my husband and I to have our own space um, and be close by there. Right. And I remember in our first conversation at Milano, you were telling me how you're getting much more involved in the, the ranching part of the business. I've uh, Well, I've been working with the ranch for the same amount of time, actually, that Secret Location has existed. Um, I worked there, of course, when I was a teenager, uh, but to a different degree. You know, you're more of a laborer <laughs> than you are, uh, I would say, assisting as far as business direction or objectives are concerned. Um but it is, it's still business. Um, it's a different type of industry. The pace is much slower. You have to be patient. Um, it's also very grounding. 
the type of industry, you know, to work within. Uh, and it's something that I think is overlooked. Mm. You know, our food and where it comes from and the way we treat the land is something that should be valued and respected. And I hope more and more young people come into it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very often that I'm at a meeting or a field day, which is ultimately like a seminar, but on a physical piece of property where you're being educated by um, industry industry professionals on a you know specific area, whether it's irrigation or you know forage crop, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, I'm the only woman and the youngest by quite a bit, mm. uh, and so I hope that that changes. Mm. Because I think that uh, otherwise it's going to have an impact that a not a lot of people are are prepared for. Mm. And what is it like for you to have a seat at this table as a woman and a young younger woman? Being a young person having a seat at the table, I find to be helpful. Uh, there is a large portion of the agricultural community that still. Uh, either don't have computers or don't utilize technology. Um, And so alongside of that, you don't have the same access to different information or different, uh, I guess, types of techniques that others are testing out or utilizing in other places of the world. And so I find that to be very helpful. Uh, Also, the government has been driving a lot of its programs and a lot of the type of information you need to fulfill or submit is online. Um, and so I can lend a helping hand there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that having access to technology and utilizing it, um, as well as the community that you can participate in online in social and other avenues mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, is, is very beneficial, as well as my... Uh, experience with secret location it is very different and so to have two industries that you participate in that are very um, some would say contradictory uh, you understand you know maybe a different way of doing things that otherwise you wouldn't have your eyes open to should you be just with one foot in or both feet in one Mm. and if I were to say to you okay Carrie how do you want to evolve this industry what what would you say I know I know in our first conversation you had you had some ideas of things that you wanted to be doing within agriculture yeah within agriculture oh well we have moved to a holistic management system Uh, I think that that's vital because of the amount of carbon that can be sequestered in soil as as long as you are holistically managing your system um it would be fantastic to see you know, if you consider how much area of the earth is utilized in food production or agriculture, if we could all be on the same page, uh, we could sequester a huge amount of carbon and have a fantastic climate impact. Um, so that would be probably at the forefront. Mm-hmm. And then to kind of working in, uh, I think we have a huge amount of ego uh, that stems from a lot of developments that were made in the 50s as far as being able to kind of force nature to do what we want it to do, it doesn't work. And so I think more so recognizing 
uh, weather trends to whatever degree you can because they are very volatile these days. Um, and understanding your environment uh, and being able to work alongside of it to be as successful and productive as possible, I think is also key and would be nice to see more of. But they they ultimately work hand in hand. Mm. And how can how can we get people to care about agriculture and food production? And I think you're seeing more. some of it right now yeah. with the increased food prices. I don't think anybody likes the increase in food prices. Um, you know, with all of the flooding that happened late fall last year in the valley, I think a lot of people misunderstood the amount of food production that happened locally that provided for our city and the greater Vancouver area. And so, you know, a lot of people are struggling now with the increase in food prices. And if they could recognize that it's their local community that had an impact on that and being able to assist them and uh, getting to know what's going on, I think that they would be first surprised to understand the vast amount of food production that's happening locally. Um, and second would have a lot more appreciation for where they buy things and and how they utilize food. Mm. How much was is getting produced here locally? Like that is there a percentage that people can know about? So like, well, yeah, so so when the flooding happened, what was uh, what Vancouver stated was it was a third of all food that was produced locally, specifically in the valley, was was what was impacted by the flooding. Mm, wow. So it's a, you know, That's when you consider yeah, the Im- the cost of importation and duty, et cetera, right? You can see why those, the food price, you know, went up substantially. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Mm. And we have a lot of fantastic local suppliers of a variety yeah. of things because of our access to the interior and the, the difference in climate, mm. right? So we have the opportunity to be near um, an area that, ultimately is warmer and can produce, you know, a lot of fruit and, and things like that mm-hmm. for longer durations than mm-hmm. maybe other areas of, of our country or in the world. You know, it's it's such a lovely feeling. I, I recently went to the UBC farm for the first time and there was some sort of, um, yeah, fair that was happening there and I just wanted to, to check it out. But um, there was this, a stand of fruit that came from the farm and, and veggies and I was I was looking at it and I'm like, oh wow, this is really really incredible. And also, it's priced really well. Mm-hmm. And for me, I just looked at it and I thought, oh, you know. And and also, the other thing I feel is that there was an immense amount of care that was put into growing these things. Mm-hmm. And I feel for me that was a little bit of a, you know, um, a turning point in my head about oh wow like maybe I should be supporting locally a lot more than going to say a superstore mm-hmm. and buying like this bulk stuff from um, cheap stuff from Mexico mm-hmm. and, and well the difference better is, for me. is the taste too right because mm-hmm. when things are imported they're picked before they're primed they're picked before they're ripe mm-hmm. and so they're either sprayed and artificially ripened or irregardless they don't taste the same as if it were to come from somewhere nearby. Right. And yeah. so you can see that. You can see it. Well, you, you can, can taste it. it. You can, ta- <laughs> you can you taste can it. You can taste yeah, it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's incredible. So I, I think it's wonderful that you're trying to bring more awareness to this. And I'm curious because you did mention um, 
when you were talking about technology mm-hmm. and having access to what other countries are doing mm-hmm. in and around this this industry, mm-hmm. um, what interesting things are you seeing around the world uh, that are happening right now that you f- believe can be implemented here too? What the government is doing to support the agriculture industry, particularly in uh, Australia as well as New Zealand, um, I think that if the Canadian government could get on board with op- offering carbon credits and measuring carbon sequestration that were that was transpiring um, within Canada, it would encourage a lot more farmers and individuals to go holistic because you have to be holistic and not be using synthetics to be able to do that properly and measure it. And you have to measure it for um, a couple of years before you can actually quantify to see how much carbon you're sequestering. But if that could be data that would then be ultimately uh, communicated to the government where farmers could profit from it, then there would be less hesitation to move in that direction. Mm-hmm. So there's a, you know, some laws need to be passed to allow us to do that and move in that direction. But I think that it would um, allow us to move in a much more um, positive direction in regards to climate as well as supporting agriculture mm-hmm. as a whole. And it makes sense that you're very interested in, in a lot of this because even with your, your, um, secret location business everything that you have is in there you you choose things that are produced responsibly and with quality and with quality Mm -hmm. so it seems to be a through line through both the businesses that that you're involved in I think that when you um, are in a position in which I'm in where you can uh, ultimately provide access to individuals you should be doing so uh, supporting other individuals that care and put a lot of time into what they're doing, mm. um, you know, whether it's agriculture or interior design, homeware or lifestyle products. Um, there are a lot of individuals that feel very passionately about the things that they're creating and the things that they're doing. And so uh, I'm, I, I take a de- great deal of, of pride in being able to support people um, in those endeavors and, and to be able to communicate that to our audience and to our clientele. Mm. I'd love to know how you continue to cultivate your relationship with the land. Being on it Mm. is a a big one. Um, I think that spending time outside is uh, very healthy. Um, I, throughout COVID, realized that I had kind of come a bit detached. Um, And and for me, that's saying a lot because I I still am outside quite a bit. Um, But it was a, a great period of time to spend more time outside. Um, and when you do so, you notice things that you otherwise wouldn't have noticed. You know, you, for example, it took us uh, six years to migrate the ranch into being holistically managed um, because wow. you, can't sh- you can't shock the, you know, the environment or the plants. Um, and so, you know, it's very satisfying uh, to see things like, you know, dragonflies, the size that I've never seen before, mm. um, or the sheer amount of butterflies and bees, um, because we, you know, we add pollinator seed to around our forage fields and things like that to try and support, um, that part of the, the natural environment. Um, so to be able to kind of see over, you know, you've put all this time in over the years to, to be able to physically see the changes that are taking place. Or, for example, we have one um, area where we had 16 bears 
um, on our forage field. Um, I've never seen that in my life before. And I think that that's telling of the work that we've done with the land. Um, and again, you know, that would not have happened without uh, the support of my family because mm -hmm. that's a new direction. Um, and new directions are always scary as well as the support of, of our team there. You know, we have one gentleman who's known me since I was, I think, 11. Um, and so they know from being there and seeing the changes, uh, you know, different things that you can try and you have a higher likelihood of, of having work out successfully versus others. Mm. Um, and so, again, it takes a team. I really love hearing that about the bears and the dragonflies and because I've read so many articles that talk about farming and how um, it drives out species, but it seems like you're bringing it, can it back. If you, it you, it, it can it, if you, you know, for example, there's a lot of um, like monoculture that happens, but if you look at, at any kind of soil tests or evidence, if you move in that direction, it's, it's, you're technically working against nature. Nature is not used to having one species be planted in a vast amount of area. Um, and so, you know, for example, we just went through uh, re-seeding one of our fields and it has a blend of 15 different uh, seed varieties in mm. that one area. Um, and so nature responds much, much, I would say much more happily to that type of an environment versus having, you know, a field of just one, one type of, of crop or item or whatever it is, whether it's a alfalfa field or a cornfield, um, you know, where the majority of the soil is open and bare. It's not used to that. It, right. It's not happy in that kind of state. Mm. Um, and so I think that by working again alongside nature and kind of watching and seeing what, what is happening, um, nature reacts in a positive way. Mm. Yeah, no, that is, that's so true. I uh, was having this conversation, you know, just going in, into the topic of do you mess with nature or not? Yeah. Um, I was walking on a trail with a friend and there was um, like a, a worm that was hanging like on a kind of an invisible thread. And I was like, oh, look at that. And she's like, oh, she's like, I, I think we should probably move it you know, off the path because what if someone else knocks it and kills it? And, mm -hmm. and I was like, I, I feel like that's a nice idea, but like, what if it just wants to be there? Like, who are we to decide, take, decide and, Absolutely. and move it? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, sometimes I'll see like a, a slug on the gravel and I'm like, oh, maybe I should move it to a place where it's greener and more moist. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the question is, who are we to decide that animal or that creature or that species path. Mm -hmm. And that's always a hard one because anytime so you you're, you're working, helping. well, anytime you're working with the land, you, you know, you kind of question, am I helping or am I, am I hindering something? Mm. Um, and so it's kind of that, uh, trying to balance that mm. while at the same time producing something so that you can actually still go about, you know, your, your job, business. your business. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a balance for sure. Mm. Um, and two, part of that, part of our, the reason why it took so many years to implement the plan is because you can't, uh, you know, if you, for example, shock your, your forage production, then you can't feed your animals that winter. You know, there's a, a trickle down effect that you have to really be looking at years later and what effects your decisions will have. Mm. Um, and so 
again, that's why I appreciate that industry and the pace um, because everything takes longer. Everything is very slow and you have to be much more observant, I find. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's that's um and I'm still learning. Thoughtful, right? I'm it's, still it's, learning too. Yeah. I, you know, I'm a baby in this in this industry, you know, you speak to some individuals and they've been doing it for 70 years. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, they can tell you as far as things that you think are irregularities and and they've gone through three variations of floods and snowstorms or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um and and remember before I guess more so before we were tampering with everything, different areas and what they were without human impact. Um, and so it's new. I find it incredibly kind of a thrilling uh, industry to be in because it has such kind of beautiful effects. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, learning every day. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's, it's, kind of like what we were saying about working with nature, mm-hmm. you know, and you were talking about this, these old farmers who've been around for a really long time mm-hmm. and also working alongside them with their knowledge mm-hmm. and, and the things that we they have know a whole now. host, they have a whole host of mm-hmm. it. And how does that blend with what you know now, mm-hmm. you know, in, in these times? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's, a, it's kind of a beautiful symbiosis if you let it be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and to, there's some, Again, uh, there's a bit of of marrying between the two industries that a lot of people maybe don't see. You know, for example, my understanding of agriculture and production and I guess the natural environment, um, you know, I have a, uh, I would say a better understanding of, you know, for example, if you're looking at wood for specific um, items in interior design, you're more knowledgeable on where to look and how to look and how to seek out people who are doing it the right way versus the quick way or... Um, truly the craftsman, let's say. Mm. Um, and the same when it comes to, you know, if you're looking at cushions or loungewear, um, you know, the cotton production and how that's taking place. Um, and so there is more uh, information that travels between the two than I think some would think. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's being more aware and conscious mm-hmm. of the layers that go into to all of these things, whether mm-hmm. it's design, whether it's agriculture Mm -hmm. well because even still if it's design you know you still have a physical product that came from um for the most part raw materials Mm -hmm. and so understanding a base level of that is always helpful Mm. oh so fascinating I'm glad we took a a dive into that yeah I was like (laughs) this is I was saying to Andrew I was like uh, and Andrew for everyone is is one half of my sound team um I was like, I really want to talk about the agricultural part. (laughs) I'm fascinated by the fashion design, but I definitely need to talk about this because I think it's really an an important topic to Mm -hmm. discuss. It is. Especially now. It is. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I would would definitely agree. And I'd like to learn more. I think both are important in their their different ways. Um, You know, in essence, it comes down to production Mm -hmm. and the way things are done and the way things are made. Um, You know, when you're talking about design and fashion, uh, even lifestyle products, it's what ingredients are or raw, materi- raw materials are being used. It's uh, who's using them and in what capacity and are they being treated fairly. And it's, you know, what the final product is and what the longevity of that product is going to be. Yeah, it's looking at the full 
cycle, mm-hmm. life cycle. You have to now, everything. right? Everything. Mm-hmm. Luckily, consumers are becoming more and more in tune and aware of circularity and, uh, you know, how ultimately decisions that are made during the design phase have a huge impact on whether it's the circularity of a specific product or what the output, whether it be positive or negative, may be. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's also paying respect to all of the steps along the way for something to end up in your home mm-hmm. or on your plate. Mm-hmm. Well, and two, everything has, uh, you know, either you're ingesting it or a lot of people aren't even aware about different synthetic materials and the fact that your skin absorbs chemicals. And that has an impact on your health as well. Um, you know, there are some polyesters and things like that where your body absorbs 60% of the chemicals. And so a lot of people don't think about, you know, they may think about aesthetically uh, and may be driven in that way of what they're purchasing, but they may not think about the side effects that that can have to their overall health um, and well-being. Right. I can't even imagine the level of plastic and chemical that's in our, our blood I know. At this point, it's well, a scary thought. Well, they we all know that microplastics, you know, are are running through our bloodstreams at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, to me, always the surprising thing is why have we still continued with the production of more new, you know, plastics when we already know that there are alternatives. Right. So, uh, business. And I won't bottom go. Line. I won't go into that rant. <laughs> well, no, yeah. because they have they have developed some where they can utilize the same machinery that's uh. already been developed. Um, Yes, the cost of the, I guess you could say, raw material or, or chemical component at that at that stage of the process is different and slightly more costly. But I think it's, you know, when we can see the ramifications of the constant use of plastic and and still are trying to even conceive of ways to deal with the amount of pollution, mm-hmm. to me it's an easy choice and investment to make. That's mm. so true. You heard it here, everyone from Carrie. <laughs> I just, you know, it it's uh I can understand too from from the the perspective of a consumer as well. You know, sometimes it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. The amount of facets involved uh and what there all is to kind of conceive and have an understanding of before making any kind of purchase, which ultimately, you know, you're supporting something if you're purchasing it. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's a lot. It's and an overwhelming so, world. It is an overwhel- overwhelming world. If you but let it be, that, yeah. that's why, you know, Secret Location, we try and make that process easier for you. You know, we've done that research for you. Um, so you can kind of come in for not only an, a, an aesthetically stimulating experience, but also a guilt free one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was going to say, everything in there looks so good, too. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to. <laughs> you can do both, right? You know, when yeah. things are designed mm-hmm. properly, they can be both. Uh, beautiful and function the way that they need to as well. Mm-hmm. And have that longevity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can pass these things down. And support the individuals who created them in the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I have a few more questions for you. Let's go. So I'm wondering, what's something that's been heavy on your mind these days? Oh, goodness. Well, one that has come up in the last few days, which... I mentioned when I sat down was uh, because I enjoy working so much and don't do much else is trying to navigate and establish different ways of balancing my time given, you know, just the way that life is developing. Um, So that's been kind of heavy at the forefront of my mind. Mm. Um, 
and as you know, it's been having having an impact on my health. So migrating that and trying to be as productive and thoughtful with my time as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two, I think we've all learned in the last couple of years that you can prepare and plan for a duration of time and it can, you know, as we all <laughs> see, have seen, it can all go sideways and you have to adapt. And so I think uh, just trying to be as, I guess, how can I say it, as as uh, fluid as possible. Mm. And and being present and, yes, planning and preparing, but at the same time being okay with the fact that things can change course and adapting to that. Mm. Yeah, and just I'm, I'm curious, and my, my brain's sort of firing a couple of different things that you said, but, um, you know, how what you're going through um, will – you know, cause certain parts of your life to have to slow down. Mm-hmm. In it a already way. is. <laughs> you know, I I remember um, babysitting my friend's daughter, and this was a while ago. It was probably around when she first could start to walk. Mm-hmm. And I babysat her, and I remember crossing a street in Yaletown. I think it was Homer and Smythe. And I was trying to walk at my regular pace. And oh, this yes. little tiny human being was like, nope. You're going to have to go at my pace. Mm-hmm. And so I had to obviously slow down to her pace. And then I just remember thinking, well, isn't this nice? Mm-hmm. To be forced to slow down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think to we're all. To slow down. We all have been uh, in the situation where we get caught up in the, the rat race, as it were. Mm-hmm. And so that definitely has been a uh, healthy reminder. Yeah. It's been. One that's been forcibly put away. Yeah, I was going to say, it's going to be, you're forced to slow down. I'm, I'm having to, you know, be positive about it irregardless because it's happening irregardless. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's definitely something that when you are the type of controlling person that I, I, I know myself to be is definitely a challenge when there are things that are outside of your control mm-hmm. um, that you have to prioritize and, and kind of learn how to adjust with. Mm-hmm. Hence my comment about, you know, being fluid and taking things yeah. as they come. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not a, a matter of like it needs to change in this 180 kind of way. Mm-hmm. It's just getting used to being able to slow down and then knowing when to when you can ramp up again and then when you need to slow mm-hmm. down again. So it's not one or the other. No. And to, you know, it's been um, I think as as the world has kind of gotten back to its let's say normal pace um I learned a lot about how to effectively spend my time and segregate work and when to kind of stop looking at my phone etc um and how ultimately prioritizing you know your health and times of rest how much more productive you can be after those times um and so none of that is you know a negative as far as learning is concerned. It's just all new lessons. Mm-hmm. I believe there's a, a phrase that floats out there, and I'm going to butcher it, but, you know, they say this a lot for people who are creative, and it's a, it's a, a phrase in and around letting the fields fallow. So basically just mm-hmm. letting things regenerate so that, you know, 
you and can not have energy forcing. and not forcing. Not forcing, yes, so. is key. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a hard one, I think, for most people. Yeah, especially in this day and age. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I feel like we're also learning. We are, yeah. I think, you know, there was a period of time where it was all about the hustle and, you know, having, you know, a multiple slash title where you were a plethora of different things and that was kind of something to aspire to. I don't think that that's the case anymore. No, um, it's not a badge of honor anymore. No, it's not. It used it's to not. be. It really used to be. Um, I don't think that's the case. So I think there is a lot of learning that's taken place in a short, a short amount of time uh, where people see, you know, influencers or company CEOs or owners uh, taking time. Uh, and there is a lot less judgment now, which is fantastic. Um, because I think everybody recognizes that you can't always be in it and think that you're still going to be able to be as creative or productive or as useful as possible. And also live. Yes. To live your life. Make memories <laughs> yeah, and, you know, yeah. do some positive things outside of, you know, what your job title is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, just a couple more questions sure. for you. Um, what kind of mother do you hope to be? Ooh. If I could duplicate my mom, that's definitely something that I aspire to be um, because she was so busy and worked as well as a, was a fantastic parent. Um, I'm very, very blessed to have a partner that is a, par- a true partner. Um, and so that will make the entire transition and experience, I think, a lot uh, more smooth and will be enriching as far as the, the types of memories that we'll make. Um, and I hope to uh, ultimately not only finish creating, <laughs> but support um, a child to be a valuable member of society. Um and to uh, both be truly whoever they are, uh, as well as add add to whatever industry, community, whatever that they, they participate in, mm. in a positive way. Mm, so beautiful. Carrie. And, and of you. course, keep them alive. Yes. <laughs> I think number any one new thing. parent is like, all I got to do is keep them alive. You know, that's the base level. Yeah. Um, very basis level. Well, and, you know, I think that sometimes we put all this uh, pressure on what exactly it should look like and should be. And particularly, unfortunately, I feel like mothers have a lot of that put on them. And, you know, everybody talks about this mom guilt, which I haven't experienced yet, but I'm sure I will. Um, but I think... Th- you know, nothing's perfect. Keeping them alive and trying to keep them as happy as you can as well as still kind of prioritize your own growth is mm. is the, the biggest key. Mm. So, uh, Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Likewise. Yeah. My final question that sure. I ask everyone, with what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? Ooh, legacy. Okay. Interesting question. Uh, ultimately, that I had a positive impact and affected the people around me in a memorable and positive way, simply put. Hmm. Well, I believe you are totally on track to do that. You have Trying been. To. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to. And uh, I really appreciate you coming in and doing this. I know it was your first pod. It was. And yeah. So uh, I, can I check that I off feel, the list. <laughs> yeah, I feel honored to, to be the first one. I'm sure first of, Thank you of for many. Having me. 
Yes, and uh, I hope to continue having these these conversations with you. Likewise, they're yeah. always enjoyable. Yeah, they really are. Thank you so much, Carrie. Thank you, May. Appreciate it. As always, thank you for being here and for listening. To learn more about today's guest, visit the episode page for show notes and links on wearethecraft.com. You can find the entire podcast archive here or explore more conversations with past guests on Spotify and Apple. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on these platforms, including YouTube, to get notified when new episodes drop. Any likes and shares on social media are deeply appreciated too. Sound and audio engineering for the show are by Andrew and Jaba Gaspis. All guest portraits and images are by Juno Kim. Appreciate you all and see you again soon.